Welcome back to the Narrator Roundtable. I'm Kurt Graves. This podcast has been an effort years in the making. We took our time to make sure we had the format and collaborators that were right for us. And we spent months doing our first round of recordings with guests who were brave enough to join us before they could know what the Narrator Roundtable would be. So first, I want to thank them for going on this journey with us. Because we took our time making this first batch of episodes, some of these conversations took place months before the resulting episodes are coming out, and I, for one, worried about what that might mean. Will these conversations still be relevant two, four, six months later? Is an issue that I'm experiencing now a fluke and not worth discussing? Well, the topic of today's episode has only become more prevalent in my life since we recorded, so I'm very glad we have the chance to talk about it openly and honestly. As Andre said in our first episode, this podcast is a celebration of audiobook narration, not an attack. But sometimes, we are going to talk about things we hope will change. We are five narrators, and we invite a guest host for most episodes— Collectively, we have worked with probably hundreds of different people in this industry. If you have worked with any of us, you might hear us describing a situation that involved you. We won't use names without permission, but for some, hearing your behavior described back to you might feel like an attack. No one wants to listen to a conversation between colleagues complaining about a certain type of person and think, that person sounds a lot like me. It doesn't feel good. But there is an opportunity in that moment to really examine what is being said and whether it actually applies to you. And if it does, is there also an opportunity for improvement? Because that's what we at the Narrator Roundtable want. We offer these conversations in the hopes that we can lift everyone up. And sometimes that means eliminating bad habits that push people down. For this episode, I was joined by my co-host Andre Santana and guest Daniela Acitelli to discuss the challenges of co-narration. Here is our conversation. When I produced my first audiobook, I felt like I was on my own. I knew one person who had narrated before, but she was also a beginner and she wasn't bold enough to try to lead a blind man while also blind. ACX was relatively new, and their online resources assumed a level of knowledge that I did not possess. So I learned the old-fashioned way, by making mistakes and learning from them. In the months and years that followed, a Facebook group emerged in which narrators could help each other. YouTube became a rich source of information about how to edit and master audio. Experts were airing webinars for narrating newbies. The industry seemed to embrace the notion that an at-home narrator was going to be a crucial part of meeting the demands of a rapidly growing market, and that an informed narrator was a better narrator. And part of that shift happened because a few generous individuals started educating their colleagues in their spare time. They were humble enough to know they had a lot to learn, but audacious enough to ask for help publicly so others would benefit from their learning. Our guest host today is one such person. In live-streamed conversations that are preserved and aired later on YouTube, 
Our guest has invited dozens of experts to share a cup of joe while spilling all the knowledge they can about the art of narration, the casting process, and audiobook production. Hundreds, if not thousands, of narrators have benefited from these informal and unintimidating conversations that are often uplifting, but not afraid to address the harder aspects of our work. Our guest's relentlessly positive persona is never naive, but always seeking the better way and the greater purpose. And so, I was surprised and a little stunned when our guest posted an actual complaint in a Facebook group. Even more so, I was grateful and relieved. The post addressed a problem that I was beginning to think I was alone in experiencing, and the post itself, and more importantly the responses to the post, helped me realize I wasn't alone in sometimes feeling let down by a co-narrator. It's a delicate and challenging relationship to maintain, and it's one that's often long-distance, accomplished only through email, and can be with a total stranger. The rules are both simple and vague. There is oversight, but with a lot of independence. So what should a narrator do when they don't feel good about a working relationship with a fellow narrator? That is our topic of discussion this week at the Narrator Roundtable, and I am so pleased to welcome today's guest host, Daniela Acitelli. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Perfect. Wow. That's Great. the first. <laughs> Daniela is a professionally <laughs> trained actress, burlesque performer, and red-nosed clown who has narrated over 250 audiobooks and is the esteemed host of the Narrator's Cup of Joe. Welcome, Daniela. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm really excited. It's amazing. Thank you so much for joining us, Daniela. Um, do you want to start just by telling us a little bit about the post that you made? And you do not have to go into details, but I just want to put that out there so people know why I why I was like, ooh, come and talk about this with us. I think, it, yes, it, it's really interesting to me because I have big sister syndrome and I was forever running off beating people up if I thought that they made my little sister unhappy and she hated it. She was like horrified and wouldn't tell me anything because she was afraid I'd go beat the person up. And two things about that is I should kind of learn. I'm quite bad at wanting to jump into something on the behalf of someone I think is being wronged. And sometimes I should maybe make sure they're being wronged first. So when I posted that, it was in response to... To be honest, I didn't. I had already resolved. I've only. I've been very, very lucky with dual narrators, and every narrator I've worked with, and I did run into one where I hadn't heard back from emails. But I spoke up, spoke to the publisher, spoke, the, and it's been resolved. I mean, the narrator said that they, the, the other narrator, hadn't been receiving my emails, and but and I wasn't even thinking of that person when I posted it. But what I was thinking of was all the groups I'm on and all the friends that I get regular messages from, the one that never heard from the, uh, in this instance, it was a male romance narrator. And then they ended up submitting, and I've heard this so many times, submitting their part with an accent that this narrator hadn't been told about, or a quirky character that was over the top and this narrator couldn't match. 
And then this narrator, because she hadn't heard from them, didn't know what the timing was, was asked to redo her work because it didn't fit. And there are just so many stories. There's the, you know, the narrator that chased the fellow narrator on a, a dual book and then was kind of told, why are you making such a fuss about this? It's industry mm. standard. When you do a lot of books, you just do them and get on with it. Um, there aren't any strange over-the-top characters. So it was kind of like shaming her for, I'm not giving away, I'm kind of changing bits of these because I don't, right. I would never in any way give away anything that specifically happened to another person. But after your post, Kurt, I realized it sounded, I, I took mine down actually because I hadn't meant it to sound on one hand, I think we should complain. Mm -hmm. I think we should speak up, not in just safe places because we're afraid of losing jobs, but I think it should, I think the minute somebody is, you know, shows bad behavior, we should say, why are people showing bad behavior? D not the person. I don't like people that shame people. And that's why I took that post down. I don't want people looking at my, my books finding some poor guy and thinking that he's like a jerk because it's not, I don't, as of this moment, I don't have anyone that has been difficult to work with. But I know people are afraid of snitching on their fellow narrator. But if somebody shows bad behavior and if you don't stand up to them and then they just keep booking jobs and I'm not, I don't want to bring up a gender. It's hard because it starts talking like sounding like gossip. Like mm -hmm. the way I hear it is gossip. Male romance narrators. I'm not, don't quote me on this, but I'm hearing it. They get all the books. There are more jobs for male romance narrators. So they're kind of more valued. So they get away with not communicating. That is the perception. And nobody will say it out loud because they want to be diplomatic. Right. Well, while we're being diplomatic, I will just put my caveat out there, which is I'm going to say I have had some bad experiences, like truly bad, uh, to the point where I started asking people who were hiring me not to hire me for co-narrations for a while. Really? Like I got so fed up with the bad behavior, which we will get into. Um, but I feel like I've done enough, and I can say honestly, I've had some bad experiences and I've had some really great experiences and there's enough co-narrations out there that have my name on them that you're not going to be able to tell who is who. Good. <laughs> so go look through my Audible catalog if you want. I'm not going to tell you which people I'm talking about. I could be talking about one of, like you could see a name and it could be one of my excellent co-narrators and you could see a name and it could be one of my bad co-narrators. I'm not going to say a thing. If they listen to this, they will know because hopefully they will recognize some of the behaviors I describe. Um, but part of this is having the conversation and putting it out there, um, because if things just go by a case-by-case -case basis, sometimes we don't put together the string to be able to say, oh, no, this is a problem of culture. It's an industry problem. There are people obviously talking to one another, saying this is how we do things. Um, and this is not how some of us want to do things. So maybe we should back up a little bit just for anybody who might not know, um, what is a co-narrator? 
co-narrators, any other person who is on the project with you, particularly someone who is going to share characters or voices or some kind of stylistic choice with you in the project. Right. And I think it's important for people who are not narrators, if any of them are listening to this, to realize that we don't often record at the same time in the same place. So that natural collaboration and sharing that would happen if you were in a theater project or in a movie together, um, that can't happen in person in real time because we're not doing the project at the same time often. Uh, and even if we are record, we happen to be recording on the same days, we're not in the same place. <laughs> so, um, in your experience, what kind of instructions have you been given by publishers or production houses when you are assigned a co-narrator? Um, what is the expectation that is set forth for you? Get in touch. Like, you know, we get put in the email chain and they're just like, it's like putting two dogs in a pen and being like, play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, it's, it's not always very clear, you know, unless there's something really unique happening in that project. Right. It ver- I, te- I mean, I think it varies a lot from the very simple like make sure you guys touch base mm-hmm. uh i've also had some where they say like you both have to submit samples to the producer and they need to approve it before you go any further uh and then i've had other ones that maybe just give a bit more instruction but the onus is still on the narrators to talk to each other yeah. which i guess is part of the situation that i find difficult because it is often at least as i interpret it and i could simply be wrong it it does feel like two dogs in a ken like you t- in a kennel you guys go play like not that anyone's ever said it to me but it feels like please don't bother me with your whole process of like getting into character and figuring out voices like you guys do that and then come back to me with a finished product but can i interject um i i think where it gets delicate and where it gets difficult is that we're lone creatures, narrators. Like we, we, we're not good at being bossed, which is why would we choose a job where we talk to ourselves in a booth most of the day? Because we get to be our own boss. So when you have to work with another narrator, I think some people think, oh, well, they're not going to micromanage me or they're, or who am I compared to them? Or I've done more than this person. I've done less than this person. So there's a who's the boss thing underlying it. I mean, some people are very, very detailed. Like me personally, I'm not. I know myself. I don't I don't like being told what to do. I, I take direction well, but I, you know, I'm not a micromanagey person. But like answer someone's emails. You know, that's very interesting, Danielle, because I've never thought of it from that perspective. I guess because I approach it as a collaboration. And so I get stuck if I don't have that communication because I feel like I can't move forward until we've talked. We've been told to communicate. We need to agree on some things before I can move forward. So I've never thought of it as from from the perspective of somebody who might think that it's uh, feeling like they're being instructed by a co-narrator, which I can understand why that would be off-putting and not something you want to deal with. I mean, I, I, that just comes from me trying to guess why mm-hmm. somebody would not, would avoid it because I've been trying to like, you know, overthink it. Like why would, and I think you've hit the key, the, the important point right there is the communication because 
I'm sitting here right now, and I can say straight out, those jerks, they're entitled. They get all, don't quote me on this, hello, this is me being sarcastic, but just in case it doesn't come across, but they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they get the jobs easily, and they think they're better just because they do this and they do that. But if somebody, the minute somebody emails me, it's like, oh, no, they're my friend. You know, that's mm. why I started Cup of Joe. The minute you meet somebody in person, they're your friend. All those worries go yeah. out the door. But if you don't ever respond to the initial reach out, how are you ever going to become friends? I even You don't even need to give your time. Just be yeah. open so you can see if you vibe with a person. You know what I mean? Right. And for, for me, there's like, there's kind of like a, a, a comb's teeth relationship between the two narrators in my head where... Uh, you know, we're going to get our projects. We're each going to prep. And the thing I'm always looking for is which characters do we share and who establishes whose character, right? Whose perspective uh, has the closer relationship or more frequently performs that character. And so in that way, we kind of assign these characters and then, okay, we've got these folks that are going to reoccur it's probably going to be helpful for the audience to, you know, for those voices to be similar. So let's connect. Let's drop that, you know, we're putting together a Google Drive folder. We're dropping in the voices of those characters. And I think that like in all the circumstances that I've seen this and for me, you know, um, I'm non-binary, but I'm often cast as a like a male character, especially in my co-narrations. And so I'm sitting in a certain position for a lot of the uh, female narrators that I work with, um, where they're used to poor communication or they're used to a number of other things. Um, and I'm, I'm curious about, I think, the implication of your prep process kind of being uh, like opened up for somebody else, right? And if you don't have a prep process, if that part of the reading isn't significant to you, I think you minimize the importance of like connecting with the other narrator too. And I, I don't have I don't have statistics. I don't have numbers about for whom that applies. Um, but I I feel like aside from poor communication, I think that might be part of what deters people right from from being in touch with their co-narrators. But that's a brilliant idea, Andre, because, well, they always say all forms of communication, there's responsibility on both sides. And by you bringing that up, then all the narrators that are complaining about those people don't get back to me when I reach out to them, maybe look at your initial reach out. Because what if you just did a quick, I'm happy to be flexible in the way I work. Let's just touch base. See what I'm saying? Rather than, I will do my very carefully prepared notes within a half hour and have them to you, and then I'll expect your notes back as soon as possible. I mean, because some of us, you know, we work really hard and we're proud of it. I'm kind of type A myself, but but you're right. That's a really good point. When the non-responsive narrator has a duty to communicate and behave properly, but also the responsive one, not to be intimidating or, you know, if you want a response, maybe say, I'm really easygoing. Mm -hmm. 
they'll all start to receive emails. I'm really easy go. Yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, maybe. <laughs> and I guess part of it is, uh, I do think a lot of assumptions happen when you're in these situations. And again, our work is so solitary. Uh, and at least my first instinct is not to like go spread gossip with people I, I work with. It took me a long time to work up the nerve. The first time I had a conversation with another narrator to be like, Hey, has this, has this ever happened to you? Because I've just had my sixth bad experience in a row and I'm starting to wonder if it's me. Like, do I not understand what the expectation is? Like, have we all agreed that when the publisher says talk to each other, they don't really mean it? Cause I just keep running into this situation again and again, and it's with more than one person. Um, and so it took a long time, like years for me to be like, Hey, is it just me? Uh, and then once I did start talking about it, I did find out that there were other people who were going through it. Um, and I want to state for the record too, like just about everybody I've talked to, we have been so careful not to ever use somebody's name. Like we don't want to bash our, our colleagues to other colleagues. Um, that's just not our goal. Uh, it has always been to just find out like, is there a way I can improve this situation? Uh, or if there isn't a way that I can improve it, is there a way that we as a, as an industry, as a group can make it better? Uh, or just more clearly define what it is we're supposed to be doing. Because if I'm wasting my time doing prep and doing all this reach out, please tell me if if that's not the actual expectation. Well, you know what Jesse said? So, Jesse said, reach out to the publisher. And I reached out to the publisher and CC'd the narrator, not going behind anyone's back. And mm -hmm. um, the narrator said they hadn't received my emails. And... We're now in touch. And, but I mean, I think first, if you reach out personally going forward, if I reach out to a narrator and I don't hear back, I will stop myself from my initial reaction, like the second reach out with no response. And I will tell myself, don't judge. They could have just been in a car accident. Something could have happened. Don't immediately start hating the person and like, you know, cursing them with your like, you know, <laughs> altar right. or whatever and send an email and CC the publisher. And yeah, wait. I think that's great advice. It is also the advice that I don't know if I got it or if I just started doing it, but I, I did notice after a while, if you always include the producer on the email, you tend to get responses faster <laughs> so that has been a strategy I've employed. Um, and again, it was like, I'm, I'm kind of a bitch, but I'm not that much of a bitch that I always assume that somebody's just ignoring me. I went through a long time of like, assuming something must be going on. Maybe they're really behind or they're sick or whatever the situation was. Um, I gave the benefit of the doubt for a long time. <laughs> I, and like I, I said, didn't. It, it took several bad experiences in a row mm. with different people before I thought, okay, is there like a club? Are they all over there talking about what we're supposed to be doing? And no, I just don't know about it. Um, part of the, the issue that I had was, I mean, it always boils down to communication. 
But it also touches on, I do a lot of romance, so it does sometimes feel, and again, but it's an assumption, like nobody's ever said this to me explicitly, um, that either because it's a romance or because it's a gay romance, which is the bulk of my work, it's not that important. We don't need to worry about it. Hmm. And that I really, like that, hmm. oh, that, that, if anything got my hackles up, it was that feeling of like, this is not important enough to communicate about. We don't need to do that. And I'm like, the author put so much work into this book. <laughs> Someone is paying us to do this work. And I have since found this not to be the case. But again, when I was assuming things, I thought, if these narrators are putting this effort into their straight romances and they're not putting it into their gay romances because they think, poo, 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 we don't need that, again, made me very upset. Those were all things that were happening inside my head uh, that once I started talking to other people about it and found out that this is happening in more than just uh, my niche genre. Um, but a lot of times we are talking romance. That has, that has held true. Uh, it is often in romance that, I mean, first of all, I think there's more dual narrations in romance than probably anywhere else. I mean, you know, people people don't talk to each other if it's not for romantic reasons. So why why would we? Um, no. <laughs> but um, and and I'm gonna out myself too because um, one there was one book in particular I did that was a co-narration, and my co-narrator is fan was fantastically on top of everything all the time. Um, like read the book uh, within 24 hours of receiving the offer before like confirming that they were going to take the book. Um, so by the time I had even sent the book out to my prepper, they had already had everything they needed. Um, and so we touched base early on. And my thing for me is it's not, I, I have, I am not unresponsive anywhere. Um, I, I'm Gen Z. I get notifications on my phone. I respond to emails like they're texts. <laughs> is that healthy? Maybe not. Um, but so we, I, I said, here's when I'm probably going to get my prep stuff back. I'll reach out then. We can do our folder swap care info, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and for me, I've struggled a lot with like shifting times and deadlines. And thankfully, this was a project that I was going to record in studio. And so that for me was like, this is going to happen. Then you got to be ready. And I realized too late that my co-narrator was recording, I think, a couple weeks before me mm. in a different location. And so when I got my prep back and I had everything ready to go, I got an email from uh, her engineer being like, here's her character references for y'all to use in your session. I was like, she went into that with like, maybe I think, no, we didn't even have to audition for that book. So she didn't even have my audition if, if, if for kind of any notes. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that, I felt like I really let her down in that situation. She didn't complain. She didn't say anything. And I feel like she has seen a lot in, in the world of, you know, co-narration, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, that, 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 keeps the, that keeps me like paced with my co-narrator all throughout the book, that experience, to make sure that you know when I've prepped, I know when you're recording, we're getting things back and forth in time for all those things. Um, and so even even in that state of 
responsiveness. It wasn't that she emailed me and I didn't reply. We had just kind of assessed when things would be ready and they weren't ready. And then she kind of went in and did an amazing job, right? Um, but had to. And I'm, I'm also, though, I think recognizing, like, again, just talking about gender and, and kind of really, you know, pulling on the implications of what you were talking about, Kurt. I'm. I don't want to. I'm. I'm not looking to create any boogeyman or or kind of do anything along those lines. Um, but I. I think there are also folks who, different co-narrators have identified the same lack of communication or the same unwillingness to collaborate, and I can't name for any of those people like what that issue is for them. But I do think that, you know, alongside best practices, alongside all these things that we can talk about, um, two things are very real, that there are folks who are not kind of actively willing to collaborate in this way that we've conceptualized. Um, But the other part of that, the other thing that I think is very real is that everybody from the producer through the engineers, through the narrators has assumed that there is a procedure, that we all know it, um, and that procedure is not written down anywhere. There is no manual. There is no real standard. Um, and I do think, like, you know, in all the corporate world work that I come from, I think the fact that that's not clearly written down is a huge hindrance to us, you know? You've sparked something, in. Andre, that's like, because I... I've got the corporate background as well. And I said that, you know, to people, why don't we just say this? Always do this, always do that. And like a bunch of people came back, oh, no, you can't say always. Some people won't like that and some people won't like this. And I was like, okay, I'm a Gemini, attention span of a fly. I'll leave it to you guys. But that's the problem, I think, is we're working with a whole bunch of creatives. I love that you were because you communicated with I wouldn't mind at all if my narrate if my fellow narrator communicated with me and I did it first because you heard her voice samples before you went in and recorded, didn't you? Mm-hmm. I did. I got to use her samples throughout my recording. It's perfect. Do you guys get in? And yeah. sometimes that's how it works. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's first person wins. <laughs> like they get to make the choices because <laughs> they have to record before you. Yeah. As long as the person not communicating doesn't jump in to be the first person. But, well, you know, I, but you see, I know, okay, Kurt and Andre, <laughs> I know you both from social mm. media, right? Mm. Because that's the big world we're in. Oh my God, I would know Andre anywhere. I would know Kurt anywhere. I've only ever met you today. Now, of mm. course, you're like my dearest friends on earth, but, but we all think we know everything because we know it on social media. And I think that's, you know, part of the thing. It's like, now I want to work with Andre on a book or I want to, you know, that I often have, I've done all the books I've done were thrillers, dual. I haven't done as many as obviously the romance. I think I've done like seven that weren't romance. And a few times his voice initially has been much higher than mine. I don't want to sound like a man. For the female characters? Yeah, because men try to, they, you know, communication helps that, you know, it's. 
Mm-hmm. It's embarrassing. Yeah. I put a book out and the female parts and the male does are like way more girly than me. Mm. You know? So we've hit on a couple things that I mm. think if we are going to discuss best practices, um, and these are some things that I've struggled with. These are part of my, my nightmare scenarios. Um, one, scheduling. That should be something you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, because it would it would have been good for Andre to know when his co-narrator was scheduled to record because I'm guessing Andre at that point would have endeavored to have more information exchanged with that narrator before her recording session. I have had this happen more than once with more than one person where I've been told what their time frame is for recording and I reach out to them like the week before they're set to record to be like, hey, let's touch base. Let's exchange some samples. Let's figure some stuff out. And I get the reply back. Oh, I was able to record early, so I'm already done. What? <laughs> like, but but we haven't even talked yet. <laughs> And you weren't supposed to record till next week. So how was I to know to reach out sooner? So like if your schedule is what it is or it's changing, I think that's a really good thing to communicate just so your co-narrator knows what's going on when. Um, and so they so they can ask questions if they have them. Because at that point, I I didn't know what to do. I was like, well, then can you, I guess, just send me every voice you did so I can try to make sure we're not doing vastly different things (laughs) in the book um and the other one is the the character voices the samples if if you are doing a fiction book and there are character i mean any character really i think any character but you know sometimes they are a little bit more generic than other times uh sometimes contemporary romances really only have like the two leads and their two best friends and you don't really need to worry about anything else uh so as long as one sounds like a guy and one sounds like a girl you're fine um but in that case i have also had where i've asked for character samples and i've gotten something back like i'm just using my normal voice or i'm just using my normal romance voice oh no and to me Oh, the hubris of assuming that I know what your voice sounds like. Well, not only that, but you're dialing it in then. You're not paying attention to that particular book. Yeah, we'll have a whole separate conversation about what that means for performance. (laughs) But to me, it just gets to the point of like, so, so now it's on me that I'm supposed to like go out and listen to a dozen samples so I know what your voice sounds like. Or... What if, what if I just go listen to one sample and it's not your romance voice? Like, all I'm asking is a 30-second sample of how your character's going to sound in this book when it's one half of the book. So, you know, why is that a... Well, to me, that's not a lot to ask. Again, we've already talked about why maybe for some people that does seem uh, controlling or, uh, like, it's asking a lot. And I can I can accept that I've always been a type A person and a type b world like that's always been me people have told me to calm down on the organization more than once in my life so if that was the if that was the feedback i got like hey i'm just not that worried about it but even here's a sample on audible that's going to sound exactly like the guy i did for this book that'd be great 
but it's yeah. yeah, it's the assumption that like, oh, I know, like, yes, oh, sure, I've listened to tons of your work. What? Do you know what my voice sounds like? Probably not. But do you care? We've never worked together before. They don't care. <laughs> like, they don't care. Why would you assume that I know what you sound like? So those are two experiences I've had. And just two things that I think are really good to touch base about scheduling. Voice samples. I think mm. you save yourself time in the long run by doing that work up front. Yeah. And I'm, I'm also, um, I'm, I'm going to keep space open for the world in which I was absolutely told when my co-narrator was recording, either by my co-narrator or the producer, um, and that I didn't write it down, didn't formulate it into my process of prepping, or forgot, right? And that's, that was my mistake that let her go in, like, unprepared. Um, and I think that's, I think that's just part of what I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that I realized it was an issue, right? Because I think for folks who run into this regularly, again, for folks whose co-narrators continuously return with this kind of feedback or criticism, are they realizing that, you know, they're impacting the work of their co-narrators, they're impacting, you know, sometimes, I, 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 and I feel like this often happens along a gender dynamic as well, which, which you know, I, I have so, such, a, such a shallow pinky toe into romance, um, but I think it's even been clear for me just from that limited experience how much of the brunt of work women get, but also the brunt of criticism women get in the romance world but that comes from the audience because the audience you're selling a book for good or for bad with like a shirtless person female or male on the cover and you're selling that person so whoever's listening to it is wanting to imagine the fantasy of you know whoever that person is so whoever the other sex is is really their rival. Yeah. You know what I mean? If she doesn't sound exactly like me, I'm not going to like her, am I? It's, mm-hmm. Which is why I prefer psycho killers. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, that the audience is a huge part of why, why I care about this. If the audience didn't care, yeah. if the audience came back with, well, I get that they're two different narrators and they probably didn't have a lot of time to coordinate. So when things mm-hmm. are different, I'm not going to let it bother me. If that was the audience reaction, I'd be like, yeah, it's fine. But again, being in romance, romance readers are very particular. They are fiercely loyal to the people they yeah. love. They care a lot about the audiobooks that are produced for their favorite authors. Like, they feel it and are not afraid to talk about it. And so when things don't mesh up on the back end, you hear about it. There's a diversity thing also that I'm trying really hard to be cognizant of. And Kurt, you will understand this, I think, of any human being on Earth, because I am very type A. And I take the responsibility on. And if someone else is, okay, I'm going to use this word. I'm not using it for a lack of diversity. But in the past, I'm thinking if somebody's being a flake, I'm going to do the work because it has to get done. 
I'm going to organize. I'm going to send the emails. So I have to remind myself when people don't deliver what I consider their fair brunt of the responsibility that maybe they have a neurodivergent issue going on. Maybe they're struggling with something else. I have to remind myself, but I have I do have a hard time. You want to give space to people that might not be able to meet you and communicate as well or organize as well or be as on top of their schedule. I want to be understanding. But my answer to that is I'll do all the work. Just I'll just do it. Just mm. let me let me take care of it. <laughs> answer my email. <laughs> but I'm conscious. I have to fight that a lot because I'll just do it. It needs to get done. I'll do the work. I have to understand some people aren't good and that's not them being, some people aren't able to be as organized or, you know, that way. And that's not. Yeah. Different working styles certainly exist. And, And that's where I think part of what makes this conversation interesting is the industry in which we work. Because we, when we're talking about two co-narrators, we are talking about two freelance artists, people who work for themselves. Mm. We have both been hired by a company to do a book. So there's a little bit of oversight. There are people we can CC on our emails if we're struggling to get the communication we want, and there is a little bit of accountability for that project. But we don't all work for the same company with a consistent supervisor and a manager who sees how we work and how we might be able to better work together. There's no HR we can go to if we're having a consistent problem with one in particular person. There's no database where somebody is checking the boxes of like, yep, Kurt was easy to work with on this project and he has a record of being easy to work with. So great. Nobody's keeping track of any of that. Because we're all just freelancers. And the thing I struggle with is I am not that person's boss. It's, it isn't my place to tell them how to do their job. I just want them to do their job however they're going to do it. But I consider part of their job making sure that they're not disadvantaging me. And I consider that my job, too, that I'm never disadvantaging the person that I'm working with. Absolutely. And don't ignore it, Cather. Let's be nice. They taught us that in the playground. <laughs> right? You gotta show up. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. But, but it isn't, isn't it great that we're all crazy freelancers that, like, go off on tangents and do things differently? That's, like, the very best part about it. But what I hate is the secrets. I hate mm-hmm. hearing people go, oh, yeah, I know that's a thing, and that kind of embarrassed... But then I also don't like, okay, let, let's say it's straight out here. And those people that get really angry at another person and feel that they need to warn everyone else and post about how this awful other person, it makes you wonder about the other person. And it also makes you wonder about the person posting. Right. You don't want to be that guy either. <laughs> you know? So I think we all agree. Posting publicly about a problem with another narrator, not the way to go. <laughs> not, that, that is not the answer. 
which is why we're not using names here. We're not, I'm not going to say anybody's name. Um, I'm just saying I have had some experiences that have been difficult for me. And that I was too scared to say something for a long time, which I think is a big, big component. Because yeah. since I have spoken up, things have gotten better for me. Why were you scared? That's what I don't understand. Why are people scared? Because I was often, this goes to self-doubt and a lack of uh, understanding my own worth. I was often working with people who had more experience, higher profiles than me. And the feeling was, if I'm the difficult one, it's easy to let go of me for a project because I'm not the big name. I'm not the big draw. This person's going to keep getting work because they're popular uh, and because, well, because they're popular. They bring in readers. Uh, and so I can't be difficult. I can't be the difficult one, which is what it felt like I was doing. If I'm going to be the one who's complaining and, and saying that somebody else isn't being, isn't, you know, to my standards, which again, the only person who I, who gets to be held to my standards is me. But so that's why I was scared. I was, I was because I was afraid of losing work. It took just more time and experience and having enough work before I was able to say to a casting producer or a production house, you know, I'm interested in this project you've sent me, but I need to know who the co-narrator is because I've had some really bad experiences and I don't want to do it again. Oh, I love that for you. I'm so, that's really cool that you did that. Well, and interestingly, one of them came back with, oh, no worries. It's this person. They're great to work with. And then I was in the awkward position of having to email back. Actually, <laughs> that's somebody I've had a lot of issues with. So, mm. and, and which is like, okay, so here's somebody who thinks that this person is great at communicating because nobody's ever complained about them. But I can tell you that it's not just me who's complaining about this person. But this person who hires a lot of narrators had no idea. And and see, that goes to my point, though. It didn't even need to get... It's so sad that it's gotten to that point. Because if you stop and think about it, nobody had to complain about anybody. If the first reach out was CC'd to the publisher, the second reach out was CC'd to the publisher saying, hello, since I haven't heard back from you, am I just supposed to do this as completely... You know what I mm -hmm. mean? Then nobody had to complain about anybody. Because the publisher right. is aware of the entire thing. And the publisher, Jesse, said and she wanted us to do that. Yes. And that's one of the things that I think if we can talk about solutions that maybe the industry can put in place, I think having that be very clear from the producer side up front is an amazing thing. Um, I will name a, a, a Podium, who I work with a lot. They do that. Uh, they say right in their email to their narrators, use this email thread to communicate and CC us on everything. Mm. And it's like, yes, thank you. Because that, that makes me feel like you want to be in on the process uh, versus some other situations I've been in where, again, it feels very much like, here you guys go, you guys talk, let us know if you have any problems, but otherwise, you know, 
I mean, they're dealing with 100, 200 emails every hour anyways. Like, they don't want to be in on these little narrator discussions, right? For accountability reasons, I think they have to. And I think it would be really good practice for everybody who's casting an audiobook and producing an audiobook to say, loop me in on the communications so I know that you guys are talking. And it never gets easier, I got to tell you, because I always stop myself. I have to send a message to my friend Gina pretty much once a week saying, oh God, see this email I just sent to the publisher. I sound like I'm telling everyone what to do again, don't I? Like, you worry. You worry. I don't want to be, I don't want to be the the snitch at school that's the teacher's pet and even the teachers hate them. This is a, this is a really significant effect that like to bring out my corporate world inner girly, like when you have a process that is not clear and not like universal in some way, and someone walks into that process and something goes wrong, they fill in the gaps about why it went wrong. And there's a lot of bad things that can come from that, right? And especially if you are in a situation where, like Kurt said, you feel like you have less experience or like you said, you don't want to feel like you are telling anyone what it is that they're supposed to do. You're going to miss out on one, having just a seamless recording experience, which we should all just have every time. Um, But two, also actually being able to like bring the level of commitment that you actually want to bring to the book. Um, and, and I think I, I, I get that experience. I had that experience so often, like especially over the course of the year, I think, where, where I moved into narrating full time, where I send that email, I send, I make that ask, and the response just comes and no one blinks. And you're like, oh, this is normal. They, there was an expectation there is a level of like communication request that is totally acceptable and I'm well below it. Um, and we don't know because, you know, it's not like it's written down somewhere that like, yes, you can ask me if you have a problem with your co-narrator and maybe it should be, maybe that's really helpful for folks. You know, I think that that email chain is a fantastic practice. Um, even just having, there are some places that have kind of like narrator guidelines, even just having information there about like what to do when we connect you with a narrator, what to do if that communication doesn't, you know, nothing happens in terms of that communication. Um, I think those kinds of things are really valuable because they don't leave people thinking, oh, I'm really bad at this or, oh, now I have to like avoid certain people or make kind of like social changes because the community can be so tight knit now that I've had this experience with a person. Um, so I, I think there's like, there's real value and impact to outlining these things so that we're not doing them from some kind of like, you know, made up sh- schema every time. Approach things. But where would you where would you put this out? How would you implement it? I mean, somebody in a discussion was saying that it's not with the union or anything, as and all the publishers work differently. So how do you make something industry standard when it's all a bunch of freelancers? Well, I mean, we have to ask ourselves the question, how is per finished hour industry standard? How is, you know, either the the punch and roll process industry standard? How is the pickup process industry standard? 
you people identify practices that work for them. Various companies have practices that reoccur. Different organizations or groups like the union come in and build those practices into our contracts. So there are a lot of ways for those practices to exist. And I think at this time, um, there might just have to be a lot of narrators for one who say, um, I'm going to behave this way as a co-narrator, and these are my personal standards, uh, and ask of the publishers, uh, I would like to understand clearly what it is that you want from co-narration experiences. Can you lay down those outlines for me? And I think in those, in the publishers creating those, I think we get more clarity about what it is that we're being asked to do. I want to be your guys' friends. I can learn so much from you and you can teach and I can teach. I want to be your guys' friends. So I'm going to kiss up to you now and. (laughs) Mission accomplished. (laughs) And I hope everybody's listening feels like our friends as well, because that is why we want to do this podcast is we want people to have like they're going to they're going to like they are a part of these conversations that happen when narrators just get together and talk. We're not providing perfect answers. We're not trying to solve anything. We're just talking and hoping that people find some benefit from listening. Thank you for joining us for the second episode of the Narrator Roundtable. Listening back to that conversation was so cathartic. Sometimes giving voice to your feelings is the catalyst needed for you to begin advocating for yourself. And I'm happy to say that I've done that more since having this conversation. One thing we didn't have a chance to talk about enough, however, is that we are all human. We all make mistakes, miss deadlines, lose track of time, forget to follow up, etc., etc. In those instances, communication really is key. If you are a co-narrator, you have a teammate. Probably several if you include the producer, engineer, and proofers. It might feel like you have to shoulder the burden alone, but you don't. Whatever the issue, communicating what is going on is always the best practice. I also want to say, though, as someone who lives with anxiety and depression, sometimes communicating anything at all, even getting up and turning on the computer, is the hardest thing to do, perhaps even impossible. In those moments, all I can offer is what I've learned from my own experience. This industry is filled with compassionate, nurturing, and forgiving people. When you are ready, they will be there to help you succeed. Speaking of incredible people who work in this industry, starting in next week's episode, you will hear a segment we call The Punch-In in which we discuss questions or comments sent to us by you, our audience. Visit narratorroundtable.com and click on Submit a Question if you'd like us to tackle your questions in a future episode. What's on your mind? We want to hear from you. The Narrator Roundtable is produced and hosted by Andre Santana, Deanna Anthony, Gail Shallon, Kurt Graves, and Lindsay Dorcas. All copywritten material is shared with permission. Music and sound effects are licensed through Storyblocks Audio. 
All opinions shared are those of the individuals and do not reflect the positions or policies of any company or organization with which they happen to be associated.